Welcome to Aggravating Circumstances, a true crime podcast. I am your host, Laura Ceremi. This is episode 19, part two of an interview with Carrie Max Cook. Today's episode does include adult content, including language and discussion of rape and murder. Season one of Aggravating Circumstances is an ongoing story, and while the interview with Carrie Max Cook can stand alone, I hope that you will go back and listen to the rest of season one about Destry McKinney's wrongful conviction. My name is Carrie Max Cook. I spent 22 years on Texas death row for a murder I didn't commit. I spent the last 22 years trying to get myself exonerated. Total 42 years fighting the system. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. Let's visit the pits that the outliers tend to describe. Well, we don't shudder or shake at the mention of crime. You may see pine boxes or end up wrong. Season one is about Destry McKinney who is a musician and a music producer. The first several episodes of this season all ended with music by Destry McKinney. This is the first song that's not by Destry McKinney. This song was made by Trust Tate for Carrie Max Cook, and we will be finishing up this episode with the entire song. This episode is part two of the interview with Carrie Max Cook, but his story began back in episode 15, where I talked about his case, and then 16 discussed some of the fingerprint evidence. 17 was the first part of the interview. 18 discussed Alfred, please, which also included his case. And this is episode 19. If you want to go back to the beginning of Aggravating Circumstances and Carrie Max Cook, you'll have to go back to episode 15. Of course, eventually you should go back to episode one and listen to the whole thing. But here we go. Back to part two of my interview with Carrie Max Cook. The bottom line is, it sent me in the darkness because Gary Udition, in my mind, and Nina Morrison, they raped me, just a different kind of rape. It was different than what the inmates did to me. This one was physical. This one was mental and emotional. And it sent me in a dark, dark, dark place, feeling like I was, their deal caused me to be everything Smith County ever falsely accused me of. And one of the other things, I didn't have a lawyer to help me with it, that there was this key witness named Rodney Dykes. He claimed, he made up stories right and left. Every time I had another trial, Laura, he had a brand new story to tell, which plugged another hole. Rodney was 13 years old during Carrie's first trial, which meant that during the events that he supposedly heard Carrie tell him about, he was 12. In the opening statement at Carrie's first trial, the prosecutor said that 13-year-old Rodney Dykes would testify that a few days before the victim was found raped and murdered, that Carrie had told them that while he was walking to the apartment complex's swimming pool, he had gone up to Linda Edwards' bedroom window and watched her undress. First off, that's a lie. And second off, Their testimony is something that Carrie supposedly said, not something they even observed. And Rodney's 13 years old and certainly being manipulated by the police. After 
the Dallas Morning News had investigated and exposed this lie, that lie, that lie, this lie. Every time I had a new trial, this guy would come in and, and plug the hole. One of the last being that uh, uh, brand new. Oh, uh, I, I was supposed to met Linda Jo Edwards at the pool and she rejected me. That was a complete ball-faced lie. And here recently, all the lies that this witness, Rodney Dykes, a career criminal, in and out of prison for drugs, every time they got him out, because he had to testify. Well, he told me recently, it was about six months ago, he sent me a messenger, and I, cut, I took screenshots of it. He said that, Terry, uh, you know what they did. You know how they, why I did that to you. You know why I lied. You know how they are. I had to do it, Kerry. God bless you. I hope one day you forgive me. You know what? He had done that before, and, but then he took it back and said uh, I was lying and I didn't have any proof. And then the prosecutor in Smith County, I always find a way to win. So this time I took screenshots, and I'm glad I did because, Laura, he, he deleted them seconds later. And I missed some of them in time, but I got the ones that mattered. I filed a pro se brief with the Court of Criminal Appeals a few months ago. And I filed it, and I submitted his perjury. I said, I, I, I know this is uh, outside the, the, the record, but I said, in the interest of justice, this court should know that every single witness, every single lie has been exposed in this case, and this is the last one. And you, this should give you at least food for thought, even though it's outside the record. And, you know, it's just been one situation like that after the next when the Innocence Project of New York and Texas and other legal scholars around the world have called this case the worst case in American history. Well, how do you make a deal in the worst case in American history, exonerate the police and the prosecutors and leave the person raped and abused and, and severely traumatized from the injustice, not to mention the victim laying in a cold grave? How do you leave him with just a new trial? How does that happen? And Laura, the silence, the media, the silence of the podcasting world is the only thing that's more shocking than that. There was certainly the the big row with truth and justice. Did you want to talk about that at all, about podcasting? Well, and Bob, that's another thing. He interviewed, God, where does it stop? The hits just keep on coming. It's so overwhelming. Bob Ruff, I told Bob Ruff, Michael Valentin, that was Luella Mayfield's son. He, he contacted us. I mean, that was Jim Mayfield's daughter, Luella Mayfield. Michael Valentin was Luella's son. When he was young, he had heard, he had read the Dallas Morning News stories as a kid, had heard about it, and his mother was always violent and aggressive. She blew her dad's arm off, Michael Valentin's dad, and he, she repumped the shotgun and put it in his face and pulled the trigger and it jammed and it saved his life. So he never forgot that. And she had a picture in the bathroom of Linda Edwards that she kept in the bathroom. So he grew up in the shadow of always scared of his mom. And one day, he was a teenager, he asked her, mom, you know, he'd asked her before and she wouldn't answer him. He finally asked her, did you kill that, that girl, Linda Edwards? She told him, she did and said to him, if you mess with me, you know, that, that's what you'll get. I mean, he was scared of her. He ran away from home that day and he never went back. So Michael Valentin had contacted me and told me that. I immediately told Nina Morrison. I immediately told Gary Udition. And they, they, they ignored it. They said, 
that that would under make Matt Bingham mad if they were working on a settlement. And I'd always say there is no settlement. There will be no deal. That was somebody that should go before the judge. His own mother confessed to him that she committed that murder. That that was the other corroborating uh, evidence against Luella Mayfield and James Mayfield would have been over the top. There was a lot of other evidence that corroborates her confessing to him that shows it was true. I told uh, Bob Ruff about that, and he called in Michael Valentin, and he did a podcast, and it was really well done. Michael Valentin admitted all that on the record, and that was another thing that the Innocence Project excluded from this so-called non-evidentiary actual innocence hearing, which is why the judge ruled against me. What did he have to fight for my innocence about? They'd taken it all out so they could get Matt Bingham, they, they could get him to agree that uh, James Mayfield was a material witness, and so they could keep their word, Gary told Sandra and I, so Gary could keep his word to Matt Bingham, I'll praise you as the gold standard at the hearing if you'll do this. And that's why he praised him, despite the motion I sent you before you called Nina Morrison saying this, there's a history of egregious suppression of exculpatory evidence in this case. There's a history of four generations of prosecutors lying to judges and court of criminal appeals judges in, uh, in this case. I'm telling you, we're watching. If you lie, we will take you before the Bar Association. Well, that never happened because they lied. They continued to lie in my case. And one of the one of the there were at least three examples of egregious misconduct by Matt Bingham that, that the public doesn't know about. One was before the 12th Court of Appeals. We, we were before the 12th Court of Appeals uh, because the knife had disappeared from the evidence room, the murder weapon. And we want, I wanted it tested for DNA because they had hidden DNA uh, throughout my case, and I wanted everything tested because I knew there somewhere, somehow, there'd be a hit and that it would end this story once and for all. So they, uh, the, the detective, the lead detective in my case, Eddie Clark, took the, 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 the knife as a souvenir in violation of the law. We finally got it back. It was in its possession at its home, got it back. But there was no chain of custody. And they, this, this is a county that had done, the Houston Chronicle did a story, front page story. Smith County has a win it all cost mentality when it came to convicting Kerry Cook. So I wanted a chain of custody to show that, that it hadn't been out. Who's touched this? Who could have put my blood on it? They took my blood when they arrested me. August 5th, 1977. I was terrified of these. And they took it again in 1999. So I was terrified of these people. You know, I didn't trust them. They'd done whatever it took. And they took my hair, too, So in 1999. So I, I wanted a chain of custody. So we were appealing to try to stop them testing the knife until we had a chain of custody. So we're, we're before the 12th Court of Appeals in Tyler, Texas, uh, on appeal. Michael West. The new David Dobbs for Matt Bingham, uh, which I don't know if you know who David Dobbs is, ex-prosecutor David Dobbs. The new David Dobbs is Michael West. Michael West tells the 12th or 3th judge panel on the 12th Court of Appeals, he said, he told him, he said, the only reason we're here today is to prevent this not from being tested because Kerry Max Cook knows he's guilty and he knows his DNA is going to be, quote unquote, all over that night. 
All right. So the judges ruled against us and all that. That's fine. And the next day, Nina Morrison calls me again. Carrie, are you sitting down? And I said, yes, just tell me. What is it? She said, uh, was it Selmark, Sandra? She said they had contacted Selmark. They just found out that Matt Bingham had the knife tested, went around the court, went around the defense, went around everyone and submitted the knife on their own volition and had it tested. And nothing on that knife pointed to me. There was no DNA on, on that knife that belonged to me. They knew that when they told the court of the 12th Court of Appeals that I was only resisting that testing because I knew the blood was on that knife was going to be mine. That was, that was misconduct number one by Matt Bingham. Another one that was really, really bad, which caused Gary Udition to call us on the phone and tell us, quote, unquote, I've never seen a prosecutor stand up in court and lie as bad as Matt Bingham, unquote. And here's what he lied about. It was a packed courtroom. We were, we were before Judge John Ovard, administrative judge, trying to get DNA testing. Matt Bingham comes in with Michael West, his assistant henchman, the new David Dobbs, who would say anything, anything, like he did to the 12th Court of Appeals to win. And Matt Bingham tells, the, tells Judge Ovard in a packed courtroom that the evidence in this case shows Kerry Max Cook is guilty because he was in a, quote-unquote, perverted homosexual relationship. I can send you the transcripts. He said then he took it even into the stratosphere and said that Robert Hahn, this, this gay guy that they had tied to me for four trials, the, the Court of Criminal Appeals eventually threw out its fraud and perjury, but they still use it today. They sent it to the Court of Criminal Appeals on actual innocence. He testified that him, and this is in the transcript, him and Cook committed that crime together. Laura, there is absolutely not a scintilla of evidence in the record of any sort of testimony, not before a grand jury, not a sworn statement, not, not an excluded statement, nothing. That never happened. But Matt Bingham swore as an officer of the court and incumbent upon him to tell only the truth. He told the judge that Robert Hahn testified in court that we committed that crime together. He knew that was a lie. He just wanted to win. Gary Udition said he had never seen a prosecutor stand up and lie like that. This is the same prosecutor, Gary Udition, praised June 6, 2016, as a model prosecuting agent office that all prosecutors across the state of Texas should follow. They cut that deal in their interest against mine because, as I said in the Wu-Tang claim, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. It's all about the dollar. It's all about them, not the client. It's another terribly, terribly frustrating moment for both Sandra and I because my murder conviction has prevented me from ever having a job. I've never had health insurance. I've had open heart surgery. I've still got a $300,000 bill hanging over my head from the surgery I never could pay for. And so, you know, wanting this Court of Criminal Appeals to rule the actual innocence, the dismissing of the indictment, dropping of the charges, so I could start my life finally. It's 64 years old. I went, I went, I was arrested when I was 20, went to death row when I was 21. And from 21 to 64 has been nothing but survival mode, fighting a wrongful conviction that never should have been mine. Anyway, we're, we're waiting over two years. First, the state has agreed I never had a trial 
free of prosecutorial misconduct. That's a slam dunk, should be a slam dunk before the Court of Criminal Appeals. There are no issues there. Smith County prosecutors admitted, forced into admit from James Mayfield's recantation, his perjury admissions as a material witness. That's in the record. Couldn't get out of that. So they were forced to agree that I'd never had a trial free of the taint of misconduct. So that's before the Court of Criminal Appeals, which automatically invalidates my third 1999 conviction. But also before the court is actual innocence. Now, here's the thing. This is the same DA's office. Gary Udition and Nina Morrison praised as the gold standard. All right. They only sent the stuff to the Court of Criminal Appeals that was part of the prosecutorial misconduct that made me appear guilty to the Court of Criminal Appeals. Things that the judge excluded, including Robert Hahn's testimony. It was crazy. It was insane. So I had no lawyer at this point. Not really. I fired the Innocence Project, left myself vulnerable. It's it's like every single person is just protecting each other. It's this deep. That's exactly what it is. uh, It's just deep entrenched corruption. And there's 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 no way out. I mean, it's it's wayward pines. Smith County is wayward pines. You know, it was. It, it, there's just no way out. After after I fired the Innocence Project, here's another thing that I actually start crying. It's so it's so painful. Everything would be so different if I'd never had them in my case. I had all these people supporting me: Madonna, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Kim Kardashian, Naomi Campbell. There's 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 a who's who book of people because I fought for so long and built up such credibility. With, with the worldwide media and people, I had all these people behind me. And they were poised to, to vi- post virally, try to support me at the hearing June 6, 2016. And Gary Udition and Nina Morrison came to me demanding, I mean, g- was going to go off my case and make me look bad in front of the public, that you can't let them post, Gary. They can't come to the hearing. And I swear before God, what I'm going to tell you is true. They said to me, and if you didn't believe this, they said, they can't come to the hearing, Carrie. It'll only, quote, unquote, upset Matt Bingham. Well, it was always about Matt Bingham. He was in my defense camp, remotely controlling all the decisions. It was insane. I swear to God, this is true. It's not this disgruntled ex-client that's claiming this. It's true. It really happened. And look, I couldn't tell anyone. They muted me. They put me in the back seat of my own case and told me I couldn't tell anyone what was going on. I couldn't tell them about their ongoing efforts trying to get a settlement. Because I, I was posting on Facebook. My own lawyers are selling me out. Someone help me. SOS. And they, they brought me to New York, made me sign papers. Listen to this. They took me to, they, Sandra, tell me what the dates are if I get it wrong. So they, they, they flew me to New York. I, Gary was saying he was going to step off the case because I posted on Facebook anyway, and it was upsetting Matt Bingham. He was, quote, unquote, very sensitive about public scorn. So Sandra and I drove to New York. Gary flew up from Texas, and we met in Nina Morrison's general office, and they made me sign a document. Tell me, where does this happen? Anywhere in America. 
This is the power of the Innocence Project, the, the, the power to abuse that no one knows. They made me sign a document in which to shut me up, to make it where I could not defend myself. I could not expose what they were doing behind my back. And what they themselves said was the worst case of misconduct in American history. They were smoothing with the prosecutors, exonerating them and shutting me up so I couldn't tell anyone. So they made me sign this document that said I, I couldn't no longer tell Gary no deal. I could no longer stop them from meeting with the DA's office. The only decision I would have as a client. Are you listening? The only decision I would have as a client was to either accept or reject the settlement that Gary Udition and Matt Bingham eventually got. Okay, that was when, Sandra? That was in April of 2016. All right, the hearing was in June. I got the settlement. It came, what, a month later, Sandra? May, it came in May. It came in May, all right? I studied it. I wanted to be respectful because I never wanted to be accused of just being this rogue client. I wasn't. They made me go rogue because of the way they were treating me. So I read it closely. And Laura, you can read it for yourself. It read like it was right out of Smith County District Attorney's Office. It completely exonerated everyone. It rewrote what was the truth. It rewrote the truth and made it favorable to them. Things that were already documented, things that were already documented as misconduct, they, they, they completely whitewashed it. And so I said to Gary and Nina in an email, which I have, I have the email. I said, I thoroughly reviewed this final proposal. It's not acceptable. It's written like it's, it's written by Matt Bingham. It seems like it appears as though it's written by Matt Bingham. I cannot accept this, not for the victim, Linda Edwards, and not for myself, and not for my son, not for my wife, and not in the interest of truth and justice and accountability. Now can you get the fucking work on my actual innocence? And Nina Morrison wrote back and said, I'm disappointed. What was it, though? But she said, but I understand why you said no. And then I went into the, I went to Tyler for the hearing June 6th. This is, you tell me where I reneged. And I'm going in to the hearing the night before, Tyler, Texas, to prep me to testify. Instead, Gary and Nina march in there and said they had a deal. They had a deal. Matt Bingham's agreed. And I, I'm, I'm screaming, I'm yelling in the room. I'm saying, no, this is your deal, not mine. I told you no. What happened to the final word I would have to accept or reject? I said, no. What is this? And Nina had the audacity to tell me in that hearing she was so extremely manipulative. Carrie, this is what you originally agreed to. And I scream, you're lying. You're lying. You're gaslighting me. And I can see, Ray Charles can see through this. And it was ridiculous. And look, here's what they said. You think, Laura, you saw the making of a murder? Man, I, I got, I got Brendan Dassey, man, like crazy. Check this out. You won't believe it. I won't budge. I tell them, no, I'm threatening to leave. I'm trying to leave the room. They blocked the door. And I tell them, no deal. And they say to me, they calm me down by saying, Bruce Anton, the co-counsel, Nina Morrison was just consulted. The, uh, Gary Edition was my lead counsel, and Bruce Anton, his law partner, Sorrell's in Utah and Judition, Anton and Judition, 
That was my co-counsel. Bruce Anton looks at me and says, Terry, Matt Bingham has given us his word. He will drop the charges and dismiss the indictment as soon as the Court of Criminal Appeals rules on your case. And here's Barry Sheck telling me in text messages, Terry, that's an actual exoneration. Every one of our cases are, are, are where the charges are dismissed, charges are dropped, and, and the indictment is dismissed. You're exonerated, Kerry. It's over. And when he told me that, they weren't ready. They, I could not get them to fight for me. They just wanted a settlement and me on their website as one of their victories. And I knew it. I couldn't win. And no matter what I did, what, no matter how much I threatened to fire them, it didn't matter. They were not going to fight. So I said, okay, well, what's the thing in the news? And I just read it again a while ago. <laughs> Here's Matt Bingham before the media that day, June 6th, after the hearing. We haven't decided whether we try him or not. We're going to wait on the Court of Criminal Appeals. We'll make that decision then. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I went out that day of the hearing after the hearing was over. Michael Morton came to support me. He tried to lift my arm up in the air, finally exonerated. Nina Morrison ran over and threw my arm down and told Michael, no, no, don't do that. That'll upset Matt Bingham. It's not over yet. He still has an actual innocence hearing. They had, I'm supposed to be exonerated. And yet I wasn't allowed to act like it. I wasn't allowed to say it. For 43 years, I fought for freedom for, for, to be like everybody else. And I couldn't even raise my arm in victory. I couldn't say I was exonerated. I mean, what, kind of, what is that about? I hope you can appreciate how traumatizing reliving these experiences are for Carrie. When I first started this season and was talking to Destry, he told me it's like a wound that never heals. Every time bringing it up, it's like ripping the Band-Aid off again. And certainly, this has been a 43-year struggle for Carrie that is still not over. If you would like to help Carrie, he does have a PayPal account and anything that you could help him, you can find him on Facebook under Carrie Max Cook, and he would love any support or words of encouragement. And if you could help him financially, even for just a few dollars, he's in such a bad situation because of what our criminal justice system has done to him in the most unjust ways. His PayPal is paypal.me slash Carrie Max Cook 2016. You can also find the link to his PayPal on the Aggravating Circumstances website. I have made a page just for Carrie. So if you go to aggravatingcircumstances.com or circpod.com, you can find the Carrie Max Cook page, which we'll be adding more information to as things go. Meanwhile, we have the wait on the Court of Criminal Appeals on his actual innocence. Thank you for coming along for this ride. Don't forget to fasten your seatbelts. And I'll be finishing up with the song by Trust Tate about Carrie Max Cook. My name's Carrie Max Cook. I spent 22 years on Texas death row for a murder I didn't commit. 
I spent the last 22 years trying to get myself exonerated. A total of 42 years fighting the system. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. Let's visit the pits that the outliers tend to describe. Well, we don't shudder or shake at the mention of crime. You may see pine boxes or end up brawling behind bars, lost in the remnants of time. These are truths that we mention or rhyme. Spit fire and boost. No longer can we keep these embers inside. Some call it genius. Others say it's demented with a stench of reprieve. A prisoner of circumstances, our sentences tied. You'll hear souls lamented when you envision this vibe. Swear we skip dimensions with every sentence that's Doper than a fentanyl high Pouring spirits for pain Blow till we ascend to the skies You are God, black man The devils will continue to try to apprehend the divine Try to apprehend the divine. 